Alexa, set the alarm for 4 a.m. Don't you dare. Welcome to South Jersey Girls. I'm Klein Aliardi. I'm Jane Feld. I'm Elise Notariani. And I'm Marianne Aliardi. When um, the two uh, more aged people on this podcast, when you were younger. Did um, you say the two aged? Like I think I said more wine? aged. Yeah. I don't know about that. That might be like harassment. Like, you know that's how just, that's <laughs> hilarious you don't want to call us older we're just we're older than you we're not aged i didn't want to use the word old. We're, not, we're not cheese i didn't <laughs> yeah really but if you think about it wine and cheese get better with age so isn't aged more of a compliment than old you know not old you could have said older okay the older people on this podcast yes. what Hello. did you guys do when you were younger and there was no social media how were you a good able life? to connect with people like okay <laughs> do you think we couldn't connect with people do you think it didn't happen i think it was limited i know my parents finally got a second phone line because i was on the phone all the time wow and this we- might sound dumb but can you define but- second phone line like a second own- phone her, no her no own number a number. number for her. Oh, I didn't know you that could would, do that. That would go to her house. Right. I yeah. just remember one time having a really big fight with my older brother and he clocked me in the face with the phone handle. See, you wow. can't do dam- that much damage with a smartphone. <laughs> well, if you hit hard enough, you probably can. Yeah. And we used to just all say we were going to meet somewhere after school and it was that uncomplicated. Or you would, it, I grew up in Philly, so you hung on a corner. <laughs> We didn't do that in Cherry Hill. Yeah, that's what you would just stand on a corner, and everyone had like their own corner. And there, I grew up their in, own. A, in a suburb too. We did not stand on the corner. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was your? Lot. Where was your corner? I, I don't really know. Uh, I want to say Sheffield and and something. I I can't remember. Jackson, so like maybe. Yeah. I mean, we did that too. Yeah. The difference is there's not a global connection. You you can watch people in other parts of the world we didn't even know those people existed when i was in college i think it was junior year we were told to get an email account and email somebody in the world and i remember getting this and being like how am i going to find somebody else who has an email address that i can email for my homework wow so not a lot of people had email no one had it like i we were like Class. Yeah, when did, I'm trying to, re- I don't even remember when it was I like, got if I'm remembering from the movie, definitely, maybe, I believe email and internet and cell phones was big, like 94. Yeah, so yeah, this was, was the year I was born. I was going to say, yeah, that's when you were born. That's, <laughs> yeah. you know. I remember Joe and I went to see the, someone whose name I should know. He was the head of the MIT, like technology lab or something. And their job was to create new things. And he said, someday every person will have a phone number assigned to them. Huh. And we were like, what? And he said, we, we can't figure out exactly how it's going to work. But if someone wants to call you, they'll call your number. Huh. And if they want to call this person over there, they'll call that person's number. And we talked about it the whole ride home. Like, <laughs> th- how could that possibly happen? We're going to have a bill on your body, like, there's no way one person could have one phone number. That's making me scared for what's going to happen when I'm older and I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, when I was a kid. Oh my yeah. God. I think about that I just all watched the TikTok. time. Clan, how old were you when you got your first phone? Oh, that's a good question. Uh-huh. How old was I when I got my first phone? Um, I think when you going into high school. Yeah. So you'd be around 13 or 14. 
that's yeah. Klein. Yes, it is. No, no, it's not late at all. Thank you. My ask what ask her when my younger sister got a cell phone. Right. What age she was? With it, right? Mara, no, Mara was probably in sixth Mara, grade. Mara was the grade? first of the three of us to right. get a cell phone because mm-hmm. I said you'll get a phone when we feel there's a need for you to have a phone. Mara went to an art camp, and she, this was when she was in I think fifth grade. So she she was ten, eleven, and. In the middle of the day, they put like these eight kids on this giant school bus and they drove them about 20 minutes. So, okay, my 10 year old's getting on a bus for 20 minutes with people that I do not know. She's getting a phone because then if she needs, needs me, she can call me on her own. And Klein just did not think that was a good reason for Mara to have a phone and for her to not that doesn't have a seem, phone. That doesn't seem fair. I would have thrown a phone. Thank you. Bit. What? Thank you. No, No, that is, that is code for, I don't really feel like getting you a phone. So let's just go with this. Oh no. And I I feel like getting Mara a phone. Why would I want Mara (laughs) to have a phone? Well, so my parents instead, because I'm one of six and a triplet. So my parents decided to get us a phone in seventh grade, but they got us one phone. So it was, (gasps) I love that. It was me and the the triplets and my younger brother all sharing a phone. We had a designated (sighs) day and it created so many issues. Oh yeah. You had to kill each other. Did you see other texts that were not meant for you? Well, here's the thing. So there was a time, I remember this so specifically, when my, I had a, a boyfriend, um, just a, a guy you saw in school. I never saw him outside of school. Um, I had a boyfriend, his name was Chris, and I would text him, but my sister decided to change his phone number and our phone to like their friends. And so then they would text me as him from their friend's phone. It was terrible. So oh I, my God. I took him out of my phone. I memorized his phone number. I could still call him right now. Not no way. I, oh, that's, that's amazing. So, that that is really unbelievable. <laughs> um, wait, so when you were hiding stuff from your parents, it was so much easier, right? You just had to not bring it home, right? You're oh, talking about I was so sneaky. Yeah. See, I didn't learn that. And then on top of that, we had um well, our house has an alarm. No, we had a house alarm too, but my parents had to disable it after a month because my sister kept getting bored and um, going on her phone to set it off in the middle of the day so she could have a fun story when she got home. Oh, oh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> Some of my, my kids' friends did that to our Alexa. They had it do an alarm at like 3 a.m. I'd kill them. Oh. oh, oh, oh. So they could like, be in your house off. and say, hey, Alexa. Set the alarm for 3 a.m. Yeah, and then that's they're not, hilarious. Yeah, and then yeah. they're not <laughs> at 3 a.m. Yeah, that's you hilarious. Guys just set my alarm. <laughs> Alexa, <laughs> Alexa, cancel alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, set the alarm for 4 a.m. Don't you dare. <laughs> my um, four in the morning, guys, I swear. <laughs> that would be. Just call, just call me. Call me if it does. <laughs> She'll be up. Be like, <laughs> not yet, not four. Like, Marianne, if I'm up, you're up. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Today, I'm talking to award-winning co-dean of Rutgers Law School in Camden, Kim Mutcherson. Kim, how are you? How's, how's quarantine going? Uh, you know, I thought at some point maybe I would be, get good at this whole thing. Yes. Um, but it turns out that I'm never going to get good at <laughs> wow. quarantine. 
Well, at um, least you can admit it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't good. want to, right? I mean, mm. I want I want this to end and I want to be able to be out in the world again. So I don't want to get too comfortable with the idea of spending this much time indoors. I, I feel that. I get that. You are the first woman, first African-American and first LGBTQ plus coding dean of Rutgers Law School. Yep. Those are a lot of firsts. Yes. And there's a part of that that that's amazing. You are setting an incredible example. The other side of that is the fact that it's 2019 yeah. and it took that long to hit those marks. How does that make you feel about the position that you're holding? You know, the, the first black woman who was admitted to um, practice law in the United States was a woman named Charlotte Ray, who was admitted in Washington, D.C. in, I think, 1872. So, you know, there have been there have been black women in law for a very, very long time. And the idea that it would take until 2019 before my law school um, had a black dean, let alone a female dean, let alone a dean who identified um, as LB LGBT, um, um, is extraordinary. And so on one hand, it's great to have the first, it's great to, you know, get it out of the way and, and have that door open for the next person to come along. On the other hand, there's something um, distressing about how many firsts are still happening. I have two kids. I have a 15-year-old boy and an 12-year-old girl. And I love the fact that they are living in a time where they're seeing some of these barriers break down and they're seeing be people be successful in fields that, that we had not been successful in before. And that's that's got to be a good thing. But there's definitely a part of me that thinks, let's get all these over with. Let's get past all the firsts and just mm -hmm. have people being successful because they get to be successful. Right. When you were going through your own law career, I know I've, I've heard you talk, well, I've heard you talk about the fact that you wanted to go to law school when you were 10. Like yep. that was when you figured that out, which that's just incredible on its own. But then I've also, I've also heard you talking about the fact that you didn't always necessarily think that you were going to be in academia. Right. So when you were coming up in your career and you didn't always see someone who looked like you holding these positions, how did you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the, the women, particularly the women of color who I talk to who are legal academics, we call ourselves accidental academics um, because for so many of us, there was there was nothing about our law school experience that made us think, oh, this is this is a job that I could have. I I did have um, black female professors um, in law school. There were two at my wow, law school, yeah. but it wasn't a conversation that you know that that we had among ourselves about what was possible. Um, you know, for me, you know, it was just this sort of weird set of circumstances that led to me getting a job. My first job in academia. Um, and there was definitely a part of me that liked the fact that my students got someone like me um, as their professor in the law school. And that's that's a piece of this job that's been incredibly important to me. You know, I have some really rich conversations with students across the spectrum. I mean, not just women and not just black women, but students for whom seeing someone who's not one of the line after line after line of white men, um, it's an enormous amount of pressure in its own way. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like I am, I'm the dean at my law school at the right time for what the world looks like right now. Right. So you were just awarded the inaugural impact award from the Association of American Law Schools. Yep. And that was for the Law Dean's Anti-Racist Clearinghouse Project that you and four other law school deans put together, right? Yep. Could you explain a little bit for anyone who's not familiar with what the project is? Sure. So basically, it is a website that is housed by the Association of American Law Schools, which is sort of the big um, umbrella organization for law schools in the United States. 
Um, and it has a, a, a series of resources for law deans who are thinking about how they can um, ensure that they have created an environment in their law school that is rich, that is open, that is diverse, and that is committed to anti-racism. And so, you know, there are lots of different pieces there. Pretty much every law dean in the country released a statement in the wake of the death of George Floyd. So all of those um, are collected there. There's music resources. And the piece of it that I think is particularly critical is we talked, um, you know, the five of us who were involved, we talked about the fact that, you know, one of the easiest things for people to do is to talk about what they're going to do. And it's much, much harder to actually do it. So an important part of the clearinghouse is what we call the audit phase, which is asking law schools to actually engage in a process of looking at their curriculum, looking at their hiring practices, looking at their promotion practices, um, looking at the experience that their students are having um, in their law school and being incredibly self-reflective and being willing to be critical and criticized um, and then and then do something about it. And there's there's not a single law school in this country that couldn't be doing better in some way. Yeah, that it, it's, I was looking through it. It's incredible. It's like a, just a never ending resources of ways to either learn or ha start a conversation, just kind right. of understand. One thing that I was hoping you could talk about a little bit to kind of get everyone on the same page if they're not already there uh, is mm -hmm. the difference and the importance and the difference between being anti-racist and being not racist. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the idea of being anti-racist isn't new, but right. it's it's new in the mainstream conversation, I would mm -hmm. say, about it. So I was hoping you could speak to that a little bit. Right. Um, so I think what's so critical about it is that people need to be willing to actually engage in work. That it's mm -hmm. not just enough to say, you know, I'm not going to discriminate or, you know, I'm going to teach my children to be colorblind. You know, right. these sorts of things that people like to say, um, which ultimately do nothing to actually, or nothing significant, frankly, to actually... Um, move the, 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 the ball. The way that we make this country better is not by pretending like we're already there. Mm. You know, the way that we make this country better is forcing people or asking people to engage in activities and conversations that are really uncomfortable. Um, you know, asking people to confront their own privilege, um, asking people to think about the ways in which they benefit from warped systems, even if they don't believe in those systems or even if they, you know, um, actively reject those systems, right? And, right. Um, you know, it's, it's the difference between being able to walk into a store and, you know, somebody asks you if you need help versus walking into a store and somebody following you around because they think you're going to steal something. Right. Also, when I was just absorbing everything you've ever done online, which was fantastic, <laughs> by the way. It's a really great way to spend an afternoon if anyone <laughs> feels like, you know. But I saw you talk a few times about the idea of the law being um, a tool for change. Mm -hmm. And I think you were saying that that's kind of what drew you to it. So that got me thinking about the fact that you are the dean in Camden and that yeah. Camden in the past decade or so has just been going through immense amounts of change from yep. the way that the police force works to the conversation about addiction. How do you see Rutgers Law and its students and faculty kind of either playing a role in that change or how you'll be affected by that change? Like, what do you see for the future in that relationship? Yeah, I mean, so I, I really think that we think of ourselves or at least should think of ourselves 
um, as a part of the Camden community, right? And particularly in the law school, uh, you know, we want to use the skills that we have and the skills that we're that we're uh, giving to our students um, to help the community in Camden. So, you know, we have a number of clinics that provide free legal services to literally hundreds of hours of free legal services every year. Um, we have a public interest in pro bono program. You know, we provide such a huge amount of services and that's exactly the way that that it should be and, and will continue to be for us. Yeah. So you were a part of our women's roundtable that we just had. Mm -hmm. um, when we were on the call, though, someone brought up a story about uh, over the summer when all of these conversations were happening about diversity and the importance of, you know, taking a look at where your company specifically, your company stands. They told the story of a young employee who spoke up. And your response to that, which made me so happy, was I 100% expect that. Like, that does not surprise me at all. What <laughs> is it about this generation? Because it's ready to change. And not only are they ready for the change, but they are going to drive that change. Mm -hmm. So what, what happened there? This is a group of students, and not everybody, of course, um, but there are enough of them who have expectations that are very high of the people around them and very high expectations of themselves. Um, there are people who are unwilling to, you know, embrace the status quo just because it's the easiest thing to do. And, and there are people who, and, you know, there, there are different ways to think about this and how you describe this. Um, but there's a sense of entitlement there, right? And some of that entitlement can right. be frustrating sometimes. <laughs> um, but some of that entitlement simply says, you know, we're inheriting this country and it's had problems from the beginning and you all haven't fixed them. So why, why, why should we, you know, turn to you for all the answers? Um, and, and they're younger. So, you know, some of what they want us to be able to do, I'm like, you know, if I had my magic wand, I would love to do that. But unfortunately, right, right. you know, it's broken right now. Um, but I love that they think that way. You know, I love that they think about not just what could be, but what should be. Um, and how do we get from there to here? One of the things that I say to my students all the time is, no matter where you came from, once you get a law degree, you have privilege. It's, it's just the truth. Um, and you can decide to do good things with that privilege, or you can decide I'm just going to use it to you know, line my pockets. Um, and my hope is always that in some way, and it doesn't have to be you know, that you're making $20,000 a year you know, and not able to pay right, your loans. Right. And, you know, I totally get that. But maybe it's that you're the person who is sitting in a room and says, um, you know, I think we're doing a terrible job of supporting our associates of color. Um, or you're the person who takes somebody under your wing and says, you know, I'm going to be your champion and I'm going to make sure that even when you're not in the room, good things are being said about you. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways for people to be involved in making this world a better place, big and small ways. And it's going to look different for, you know, different people, but everybody should feel like that's their responsibility. That's a perfect place to end this because that, I mean, I could live off of that for years. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for talking with me today. Of course. Thanks to Kim Mutcherson for joining us this week. You can find the Law Dean's Anti-Racist Clearinghouse Project at aals.org slash anti-racist dash clearinghouse. Again, aals.org slash anti-racist dash clearinghouse. Thanks for listening, and as always, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next week. Bye.